Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober with Elizabeth Chance. And today is episode 318 with Claire Kamoy. I'm so excited to have you here and Rehab Studios. Today's episode is sponsored by Soberlink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. And our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used and sends results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. <clears throat> Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive for $50 promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash BLS for busy living sober. So exciting. You guys get on that $50 promo code because everybody wants like who you know sometimes people don't believe us, do they? When we're getting sober and we're like, <laughs> Hello, I'm sober. They're like, no, you're not. And you're like, yes, I am. You're so sober. Oh, people always think I'm joking. They're like, oh yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> so Claire, it's so ironic. I'm just going to tell this to everybody that's listening. So Claire reached out to me. She said, you know, I, I haven't been having guests on since pretty much since COVID. And now I'm, at itching them back in and you reached out to me and it's so funny because we talked on the phone and I noticed her area code and I was like wait a minute what's your area where did you grow up and she grew up in the same area as we my raised my kids she's just up she's not in kilter exactly with my kids she's like in between them and I thought that's so funny so she came from this same background as I did which sometimes can be a hard place to get sober in this demographic would you agree yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's definitely, you know, there's there's stigma around it and everybody always wants to, you know, uh, put their best self forward and, and maybe craft a certain image. And so people will not be so ready to speak on the fact that they went to treatment or that they're in recovery. Yeah, because it's it's the stigma. And that's why I came up with Busy Living Sober is the same thing because nobody wants to talk about it. I used to give talks in Wayne, Pennsylvania and, you know, with parents that you probably know. And I was yeah. like, please, let's talk about this. And nobody wants to talk about it. So what was your journey like? What happened? So I was just always um, a huge drinker. I mean, it was one of the reasons I really believe in, in the disease model of addiction is that I had a pretty normal upbringing, no big trauma. And I, um, and then when I started drinking just right away, it was like, I was couldn't control it. And I would, you know, just wasn't able to stop. Um, and alcoholism runs in my family and my, parents and my siblings, they kind of stepped in by the time I was out of college and pushed me to give sobriety a try. And at that point, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. But um, because, you know, my family was so adamant, <laughs> I said, I'll give it a try for six months. Um, and, you know, learn how to moderate all of that. And it changed my life. I mean, it's really 
been amazing. Um, and I've learned so much about myself and it's just opened my world up. Uh, so I'm <laughs> sticking with it. So, um, when you were, so what, how old were you? We started to drink. It's probably around 14. I think. Was it the summer? Yeah. I mean, it was just, when I started drinking, it was, it was just with friends. Um, but I just remember liking it so much more than everyone else. Like it was my favorite thing ever. Um, and it was just always what I wanted to do. And so and you then when I grade. left, sorry, you were in ninth grade, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in, yeah, I started probably eighth grade, ninth grade. And then, um, you know, in high school, it's obviously like not allowed. <laughs> um, so it only got to a certain point, but when I went away to college and I went to university in, in Montreal where there's no drinking age and that's when, you know, I, I could really, really drink as, as almost as much as I wanted. So it took off from there as well. But I mean, the only reason I wasn't drinking, if I had my way, I would have been drinking every day after my first sip of alcohol. Like that's how much I liked it. It's just obviously like you can't, I wasn't able to get away with that as a teenager. Could you drink after school or were you just like a weekend warrior? Um, I mean, in, in high school, it was more weekends. And then once I was in college, uh, the school I went to, they, there was a big party scene, I guess. And yeah, it, it was all the time. And did you, do you think you knew inside of yourself that you were that you handled it differently I mean did you feel different than your friends and you didn't want to admit it or what do you think it was yeah so I did know that I mean I, I'm not sure exactly when I figured it out if I was like you know a senior in high school or certainly when I was in college I knew um sorry that I, uh, that I had an issue with it because I, um, I mean, when you first start drinking, you don't know, you think that everyone feels the same way you do when they, when they take alcohol. Um, and I mean, I did notice that I seemed to like it more than everyone else, but I didn't think it was that strange. And then, um, in my, since alcoholism runs in my family, I didn't know a bit about that. And my parents had always kind of hammered that home and been like, watch out for this. It's in your genetics. And then when I was in college, I mean, I, I just knew I would sometimes try to be in denial and be like, oh no, you're fine. But, um, I knew it wasn't normal to just not like I, every time I went out, I would have to like write tally marks on my hand to count the number of drinks and like do all these things to keep from going totally overboard. And just every time I drank, it was this struggle of um, not getting to the point of being like incapacitated and being so drunk. And it was just because I didn't, I don't have that like natural cutoff with alcohol that I, guess other people have and I didn't know it for a while like I remember having conversations with my sister and I was like well don't you like tally every drink and she's like no like that's that's different so um yeah I think and I studied um substance use disorder when I was in college and 
just like learning about that um, also helped me realize that I think, you know, this might be something I have, but I was also kind of in denial. I mean, I didn't want to get sober. So I just didn't really think about it too much. So I, for one, I have to say kudos to your mom and dad, because a lot of parents don't actually come out and say, by the way, we have this in our family and you better recognize it because once you start drinking, you could become, and I love to say you become a pickle and yeah. then you can't be a cucumber again. But the fact that your parents do that, I got to give a shout out to your parents because that was pretty rock star of them to, to tell yeah. you that. that was pretty awesome. Very they're cool. the best. I mean, they're the reason I'm sober now, them and my siblings, so... It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I have never heard the tally sheet on your hand. Now that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. How I can't imagine like going, okay, I did one. And then for one, I'd have to find a pen when I was screwed up. And so you would walk around and just in, have this pen with you and write down, cross off each one or an eyeliner or whatever, lipstick. Yeah, yeah, I would do that or I'd do it on my phone. Like I had all these things I would do like every, you know, between every drink, I would have a glass of water and like just all these like little tips and tricks. Like I can't start drinking before this time. And like, I just thought everyone kind of did that. Um, but I guess they don't. <laughs> they just naturally don't drink too much. I don't understand it really. And were you a blackout drinker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what all the tallying and the water was for. It was to keep me from blacking out because I didn't like blacking out. Um, but it would just like happen if I wasn't careful. So if you tallied, you would stay in your perimeter. And if you weren't tallying, you would go blackout. Or if blackout. I was tallying, I would maybe stay in my, I mean, you know, it was one of many like, things that I did. And I think a lot of people who have drinking problems do like, you'll try like no hard liquor. Like I'm only drinking beer and wine and like stuff like that, that you think is going to cure, um, cure the, the alcoholism, but it doesn't, doesn't really help. No, it's crazy. Right. Like what you yeah. sit here and, but I don't think we realize when we're in it, right. That we are like, this is insane. Like I'm kind all I'm doing is thinking about this alcohol and that I don't get too much. I get too little. That's right. Yeah. I, I thought everybody was like, so like over, like concerned with alcohol. And like, I remember when I first got sober, I didn't like, I'd be getting dinner with, you know, like my sister or a friend who like, doesn't have, um, any type of, of drinking problem. And I'd be like, I know I'm sober, but like you guys can have a glass of wine. Like, I don't want to ruin your whole night and like make this terrible for you. Like, don't worry. And they're like, we, we don't care. Like we don't need a glass of wine at dinner. And I just, you know, it's, it's just such a different way of processing the every, all of the thought processes and actions around alcohol. Um, and I think that it's hard to realize because obviously you only know your own experience with alcohol um, or anything. And that's why people, it takes them so long to really realize and uh, yeah, come to terms with the fact that they might have a problem because they think that, you know, because people don't talk about this and don't talk about how some people's brains react differently to alcohol and it will be a different experience for you no matter what you do. It's crazy. And what, what are your takes on this sober October? I always find it very interesting. What do you think about it? 
Um, I mean, I, I love it. I think it's great. I think, um, alcohol, you know, I don't judge other people who drink. I think if you don't have alcoholism or addiction problems, you know, you drinking's fun. (laughs) So, you know, go for it. But, uh, just in my sobriety, I did so much research about alcohol, um, and what it does to the brain and the body and, and, all of that. And it's really bad for you. Um, So I think if anybody wants to take a month off, that's awesome. And I think making it more like socially acceptable for someone who is maybe struggling with addiction, this could kickstart a longer term sobriety. um, And it's not as, you know, dramatic as, as going, going to rehab, but, uh, you know, giving sobriety a try. I think it's great. And so now back to your schooling, you went and you majored in substance use disorder. Now, did you, did you major in this because of the history in your family or what was your reason to go for? Why did you choose this major? Well, so my major was in, uh, psychology and with a focus in like neuroscience. Um, and I, you know, I, I was just really interested in that subject. But my having studied psychology and in particular neuroscience was huge in my recovery process, Um, because just for me, um, when I got sober, I wanted to know a reason why I couldn't drink and everyone else could. Uh, And I really delved into the neuroscience of addiction, like really the nitty gritty of like, you know, what different reward pathways behave differently in the brains of addicts or of children of addicts and how the prefrontal cortex has different types of activity um, that we see in brains of of alcoholics. Uh, And that was really huge to me that helped me to like get to the point of embracing sobriety for myself. So when, so did you crash and burn at the very end? I was like crashing and burning the whole time. <laughs> so there wasn't um, one major, like there was no metal around your wrists or sirens chasing you at the end, were there? Um, I mean, I I I got into some legal trouble, uh, but it wasn't there was no big event that like pushed that like got my family to be like, this is it, Claire needs to get sober. They were telling me I need to get sober from when I was like in high school. Like I went to an A, the first AA meeting I went to, I was in high school. Um, Yeah. I mean, like it was, there was no big moment. Um, It was, you know, it was just pretty obvious. (laughs) And how old were you? And give us the details. Tell us what happened at the very end. Give us a little, so people can maybe relate and say, okay, yeah, for sure. I'm not like that. So I was 24 years old, which, um, was pretty young. Uh, and I, you know, at the time, so I was 24 years old and my family intervened. They had a classic intervention. They were like, we really want you to get sober and it's hurting everyone. It's not just hurting you. And, you know, as I said, I, I knew deep down that, that the way I, uh, reacted to alcohol wasn't healthy. Um, and so that, you know, that was what really pushed me into sobriety. Um, and it was, 
you know, it was so, so difficult in the first few months because I wasn't used to socializing sober, uh, you know, going out on first dates sober, any of that. Um, and I really had to relearn how to do a lot of those things and how to be comfortable and confident in my own skin. Um, and yeah. So were you at home or was this during COVID? Like what, where were you? Were you up in Montreal or did you come home to Philadelphia? And everybody was like, the parents sat down and said, okay, pack your bags. You're off to this place. So what happened is, yeah, in college, I was away in Montreal. After college, I went backpacking for like a year in Vietnam. And so I was, I was far away. Like, you know, my parents didn't know exactly what I was up to. And then I came home, I moved, you know, to New York and I was looking for a job. I was, you know, starting my life. Um, and the turning point, my parents, you know, it was my brother's birthday and, uh, everyone in the family was like going back to, to Haverford near Philly where, my parents live um, for like a birthday celebration and I was out partying. So I never showed up. And that was like my parents. I mean, it, it's far from the worst thing I did. It's like a small thing in comparison, but that was just the turning point. Like my dad was like super Italian and he was like, no one misses family brunch. Um, so that was when they were like, you need to, you need to get sober and um right I, I was like a few I want to say like maybe a month or two in and COVID happened um mm. so I <laughs> so I was my mom was visiting and um you know I went home with her and my sister and I was there for a few months and then I I I lost my mind a little and I was like, I'm either relapsing or I'm getting out of this house. And um, I went to Europe <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I quarantined with different friends like Europe and like did a bit of traveling there. And, um, you know, that was maybe not the best for COVID, but just for my mental health and my recovery, my sobriety, that's what I needed. Um, so that is, you know, and then I moved back to New York after a few years and, um, here I am. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I love the fact that you got into action because so many people are in these places where they're like, I know I'm going to relapse if I don't, I mean, obviously if you have the money, you can travel to Europe. I mean, I know not everybody can do that. Right. Right. But doing at least something to change up where you are is like for so many, it's the hardest thing. But if you don't do it, you're going to end up back where you were. Right. Yeah. I mean, something about like just, you know, COVID happening and just the world being in shambles and like everything kind of crashing and burning around me. I was, it, it was a little bit liberating. Like I was like, I just got to do what feels right. And it worked out. And it's so hard because weren't your insights going, Oh my gosh, who am I to go to Europe? Oh my gosh. But parts yes. of, then the other part of you is like, but if I don't do this, I am not 
And that's the action that I think so many of us alcoholics and addicts have the problem with is that action side of us going, we know what we're doing isn't right. And we know where this is going to lead looks very bad down the road, right? But we need to get into the action. We need to pick up and go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, that period of traveling really helped me to become comfortable with my sobriety because I was, you know, I was meeting new people and and I would I have to explain to everyone, like, I'm sober, I don't drink. And I just got used to saying it and used to, to uh, being comfortable with that. Yeah. And it's, so how has, so since then, so now you're back, you're doing your stuff. And I love that your mission is also to get rid of the stigma. I mean, before we were starting to record, we talked about this mental health and how bad that everybody looked like, it's not okay to be sober, but it's okay to be a drunk. Like it's all portrayed on social, like all those reality shows. I watch those housewives sometimes or oh my God. the Kardashian, like all those people, they party all the time. And you're like, doesn't, don't they have a friend to tell them <laughs> they have a problem? I know. Um, yes, I totally agree. I think the media definitely glamorizes addiction and drinking and uh, using and like addictions, not glamorous. It's, it's, sad and embarrassing uh but recovery is sexy uh like owning yourself and going to therapy and taking your Prozac and just being your best most beautiful self like that's super hot um so that you know that's what rehab studios is all about we want to glamorize recovery and mental wellness because that's sexy it's totally sexy. Yeah. Even in the beginning, we're like, oh my God, I'm a leper. It's like I'm walking around with the scarlet letter, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, I can't go to the party because I can't drink. Yeah, I know. And like, you'll, uh, I, I've been on, people are more mostly understanding, but I've been on some first dates and stuff where the guy's like, what? Like, you don't drink. And he's like, so thrown off by that. But you would not want to date me when I was in the midst of my drinking. Like, I was crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah. It's really crazy. I have to tell you. So I remember when um, the night I met my husband, I had gone on, I, I was like one of those players. Like I'm like, I went on two dates. <laughs> so I had one date with my husband who is sober. <clears throat> and then the next date was in King of Prussia. I was going to meet the guy at the Capitol Grill. You know, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. Oh my gosh, I've been on dates there. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I walk in and he is like three maker marks in. He's like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, you're, I mean, go, good, good luck. God bless. Gotta go. Nice meeting you. Right? Because yeah. it's just, I think there's this confidence and this sexiness. I have to tell you, like when my husband, when I met my husband, he's got this confidence that he's like been sober a long time. He's worked, he's done the mental health work, right? He's gone to therapy. He continues to go to therapy. He reaches out for help. And I think that takes courage. And so many people think that it's a sign of weakness rather than courage. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And it's, um, there's such a disparity between how we look at getting treatment for mental health and physical health. I mean, if somebody had a broken arm and they were like, well, I'm just going to tough it out and change my mindset and not get help for it. Like, you know, everyone would think you're crazy. Like go to the doctor and get that taken care of. 
but we often see that that kind of reaction around something like addiction or depression it's like you don't need therapy like just just push through that's not how you deal with medical issues um and we have no problem if you know you have um an iron deficiency so you take iron pills every day no one hides that but if your brain has a dopamine deficiency so you take Prozac every day why is that you know something that's that's kind of got this weird stigma around it like we need to change the discussion around mental health I think it's because people can't necessarily see when there's a malfunction in the brain or something like that the same way you can physically see like if someone has a more physical ailment uh that they think it's it's made up all in our heads but um it's you know the the brain is is a part of the body it's an organ and uh there can be issues with how or the different neurons and everything up there is functioning it's unbelievable because you're so right and we need to be able to talk about it we need to not have stigma about it we don't need to give for one i mean i heard in the the rooms you know i do 12 which i know you do as well um you know they talk about how what other people think about us is none of our business so it's literally about getting the help and that's what we're doing here so when you went and you started rehab studios this year you started it this year what inspired you tell us more about it what what people can find out about it what your taglines are in your clothing and all that. So please tell us about Rehab Studio. Yeah, so I um, have always worked in fashion, marketing, communications. That's, you know, a huge passion of mine. And I've always been artistic, like drawing, painting, making jewelry. Um, and in sobriety, those hobbies really came to a forefront. You know, I had a lot more time, a lot more energy and um, putting all my energy into these artistic pursuits helped me through uh some of the like cravings and the restlessness that I felt in early sobriety um so I would just design stuff just for fun on my laptop I would like you know I became obsessed with the idea of photoshopping a picture of Alice in Wonderland with a ski mask on just like all these fun things and then um and this was like in the middle of the pandemic so I had all this time I realized I could get uh graphic designs printed on clothes um and I was like making bracelets just for fun and it kind of came out of that I was like I could you know this is something I'm so passionate about and I'm spending so much time doing it maybe it could really be you know like a, a business and take it to the next level so that's how I uh kind of conceptualize that idea. Um, and I really wanted to create like, you know, a fun, sexy, but also sober, sober, curious, sober, friendly brand, like something that, you know, it's not just about sobriety. It's also about mental wellness, but uh, a brand that speaks to that, but then is also like super chic, super cool and, and has really great artistic basis and, and designs that are, uh, come from an artistic place. Well, and they're trendy and they're cool. And let's just yeah. say, cause people love trendy and cool. And your price point isn't too high, which I also think is amazing because you know, it's not like people, it, oh, excuse my dog. She must see something back there. Um, I love what you're doing. I love your mission. 
It's amazing. I wish you all the best. I'm so glad you took your time this morning to come on Busy Living Sober. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. And um, I really wish you the best. How many years have you been sober now? I just want to throw that out there. Uh, three years and a couple months. <laughs> Love to say that. It's so amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Claire, again, for coming on and talking about Rehab Studios. Come on again in the future and tell us. Oh, I would love to. Once you update, because I know you're making changes right now. So yeah. please come back. Will you? We reach out to me and let me know. Oh, absolutely. I would love, love, love to. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And again, thank you everyone for listening. If you have any questions for Claire, if you want to reach out to me, please remember that you are not alone. Always speak to your doctor before going off of alcohol or drugs because you don't want to have a seizure. I've mentioned it many times that I know people that have died from coming off of drugs and alcohol without doctors. Um, support. So please reach out to your doctor and please know that you are not alone. You're never alone. Please. You're never alone. Reach out to me at busy B I Z Z Y at busy or Elizabeth at elizabethchance.com. And if you want to reach out to Claire, I'll give you her, her information. will be in the info with the podcast. And so remember until next time, keep getting busy living. So take care everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Claire.